The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Today marks 25 years since the Oma bombing, the atrocity which was the greatest single loss of life in the history of the North's Troubles. 29 people, including a woman who was pregnant with twins, died in a real IRA car bomb attack in the town. Our chief reporter Barry White is with us in Oma. Um, Barry, there have been a number of services and commemorations taking place over the last few days. Hey, Jonathan. Good morning. Yeah, on Sunday, relatives and friends of those who died in the Oma bomb remember their loved ones here at a service at the Garden of Remembrance in the town, which is just... 200 yards away from where the 500-pound car bomb detonated at 10 past 3 on August 15, 1998. While today, at the exact time the bomb went off, a bell will ring in the town to mark the anniversary, while a private commemoration is taking place here for the victims' families in the library in Oma this afternoon. Um, there will also be a commemoration in Moncrana in County Donegal this afternoon for the three young boys from the town who died in the atrocity also 25 years ago. And uh, I actually walked up Market Street here in Oma this morning, Jonathan, and while life goes on and people are going about their business this morning like they would any other day, there is a glass memorial on Market Street at the exact spot where the bomb detonated 25 years ago. I did, I did notice lots of people stopping at the memorial this morning who were just pausing and paying their respects. And there's no doubt what happened on that day 25 years ago was still very much etched and everyone's memories here in Oma and the surrounding areas. Uh, 31 people uh, died that day, including unborn twins, in, died in the Oma bomb. And Jonathan, at the ceremony on Sunday, the names of all the people who died were read out. We remember those who have died. James Barker, age 12. Fernando Vlasco Baselga, age 12. Jardine Brennerson, 43. Deborah Ann Cartwright, 20. Gareth Conway, 18. Brita Devine, 20. Oran Doherty, 8. Aidan Gallagher, 21. Esther Gibson, 36. Mary Grimes, 65. Olive Hawks, 60. Julia Hughes, 21. Brenda Logue, 17. Anne McComb, 48. Brian McCrory, 54. Samantha McFarland, 17. Sean McGrath, 61. Sean McLaughlin, 12. Jolene Marlowe, 17. Avril Monaghan, 30. And her unborn twins, Evelyn and Emer. Maura Monaghan, 18. Alan Radford, 16. Ruthio Abad Ramos, 23. Elizabeth Rush, 57. Vida Short, 46. Philomena Skelton, 39. Fred White, 60. Brian White, 27. Lorraine Wilson, 15. It just shows the indiscriminate nature of it, Barry. It didn't care what age you were, where you were from, what your religion was. It it just killed those in its path. Um, men, women and children all perishing on that terrible day. Yeah, on this day 25 years ago, I suppose like many market towns across this island, Oma was full of Saturday afternoon shoppers 
many people had travelled into the town from the surrounding villages and countryside. It was a very busy Saturday afternoon as women and children were in the town buying school uniforms and supplies in anticipation of a return to school. In addition, a cross-community carnival was also being held in the town at the time of the explosion. And yet, as we heard, there among those who were killed were a group of Spanish children who had been studying English in Bunkrana and who were taken on a bus trip to Oma along with some children from Bunkrana as well. One 12-year-old Spanish boy died, as well as a teacher from Spain. Three young boys from Bunkrana aged only 8, 11 and 12 were also killed in the explosion. Three generations of women from one family from Ahar and County Tyrone were killed. A 65-year-old granny, her 30-year-old pregnant daughter and their 18-month-old granddaughter. Among the dead and injured were also toddlers, one strapped in her buggy. Unborn babies, as I said, were also killed. Catholics and Protestants were also killed that day. The impact of them was cross community and it was devastating. And even to this day, 25 years on, it's hard to get your head around uh, as to why this happened and how it happened. And I've been speaking to Lisa Dillon from Bunkrana. Her brother, Oren Doherty, was only eight years old when he was killed that day, while her cousin Emmett was also badly injured. And Lisa told me she still remembers what happened that day, like yesterday. I just remember the absolute heartbreak that we never ever thought we'd experience coming to our doors. And just that day, I'll, I'll never ever forget it. Just the waiting, just was hours and hours on, you know, the word, you know, every time the news would filter through, more and more people were dead. And we knew, we got the call that Emmett needed surgery and stuff and he was in the hospital. So the relief to know that Emmett was okay, not okay, but he was alive. So just the waiting on the word and how he was doing and then still no word on Orn. And um, then I just went through the night and the morning and then just getting that call. Then the next morning, we seen the reaction of the McLaughlin family first. Um, there was like a while of silence in the street, I'll never forget it. And then you could just hear the sobs of them. And then, so we knew the news wasn't good and then the phone rang and um, it was my daddy to tell the news that I remember Mama saying to him, Mickey, Mickey, we Sean's dead and Daddy's reply was, and so is our we Orn and then she just dropped to the ground, hysterically screaming and my husband now, who was my boyfriend at the time, running out of the house. It was just absolute craziness. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. You know. I'm sure at the time you must have been thinking, you know, is this real? How can this happen? I'm sure you probably still think that 25 years later. Like, how did that happen? Oh, I definitely, you know, you just think how, as little boys, as little children, you know, how could this happen to them? How could this happen to us? You know, we're, we just never imagined we'd be caught up in the troubles or anything like that. Just not something you ever think would come to your door. It's just unbearable, yeah. And Oren and the other young boys, they were just there for a, a day trip in Oma? Mm-hmm. Just a wee day out with the Spanish students. It was something that we all done. I done it. I went when, the, when I was younger with the Spanish to the folk park and different places. Um, and the boys were just doing the same thing. Happy as Larry, the lot of them. And little did they know what was ahead. I've spoke to a number of the victims' families from Oma over the last number of days. And there's a real sense of you know, what if Oma hadn't have happened and, you know, it shouldn't have happened? No, it shouldn't have happened. This should be here today. You know, I, you do, I often think, like, would he be playing football? Would he be, 
you know, you do think, you know, would have been the pub with all them boys, they love a wee pub, going to the pub on a Saturday and stuff. You think you're probably sitting up in the cottage bar on a Saturday with Emmett and the boys and stuff, but... 25 years on, there's still been no convictions, no prosecutions. Do you think you ever get justice or do you think the truth will ever come out about what happened that day? I don't think we'll ever get justice. I don't think anybody will ever be locked up for what they did, but hopefully with this public inquiry, some truth might come about in some sort of way. Um, but no, I used to have hope that people would be locked up for it, but I don't think so anymore. So many of our listeners will remember what they were doing when they heard the news. I distinctly remember I was getting ready to go out. It was a Saturday night and uh, it, it just blew me away, pardon that terrible use of language, that this had happened so soon after the Good Friday Agreement. I mean, you grew up not that far away from Oma Barry. Yeah, I remember it clearly, Jonathan. I was only 13 at the time and I remember I was like kicking a football in my granny's garden in Lifford. Um, which is only about 25 minutes from Oma. And I remember two of my aunts were shopping in Straban. And I remember they came back and they came into my granny's house. It was just after, I think it was just before half past three. And I remember them saying they had seen loads of sirens, you know, ambulances and fire brigades in Straban, and they didn't know what was going on. And then I went into the kitchen and I remember my granny and my two of my aunts then were sitting around the TV and on the news that had just broke that there had been a bomb just up the road in Oma. And the images from the TV report were devastating. It was like a war zone. And I also remember my granny panicking then at the time because my Uncle Patsy was travelling from Lifford to Dublin that afternoon and he'd have had to drive through Oma, obviously, to get to Dublin. But he stopped at a phone box then on his way to Dublin and he called my granny to say he had passed through Oma at around 3pm and obviously the bomb detonated at 10 past, three, ten minutes later. And many people in the Northwest that day would have been waiting on phone calls from loved ones who'd been in Oma that day or passing through Oma that day. But unfortunately for so many people, they never got those calls from their loved ones to tell them that they were safe because their loved ones had been tragically killed or, or, or had tragically been killed that day. But I suppose for me also, I remember being a confused teenager in the days and weeks after the Oma bomb because just a few months before we had the Good Friday Agreement and I remember the sheer joy of that day. I remember cars driving around, beeping their horns and celebrating my hometown. It was like Ireland had won the World Cup. The Good Friday Agreement was meant to be a new dawn. The future was meant to be a peaceful one. However, just a few months later, we had the greatest single loss of life during the Troubles. And had it happened for what? What did that day achieve? And I remember just thinking, how the hell could anyone carry out such an atrocity? And there was a real chance that this could have ruined uh, the Good Friday Agreement, it could have ruined the peace deal, but thankfully it, it didn't. And I, I've been speaking to Bertie Ahern, the Taoiseach, he was one of the architects of the Good Friday Agreements, and he told me what he remembers about that day 25 years ago. Well, I, I remember the day so well. As it happened, I had come back from some holidays the previous day, so I, I was in my office in St. Luke's trying to catch up with things on the Saturday afternoon, and my brother Morris uh, rang me just after 10 past three to say he had been listening to um, some sports um, on, on BBC radio, and he said there was a, a word was coming in of a major bomb in Oma. Um, so I, I was onto it straight away, and as it happened to, to be in the office and. Um, you know, within a short time, uh, I had contact with the 
with the guards and, and the guards, you know, had, had said that, that it looked as if there was going to be huge fatalities. So I, I went straight to government buildings and I, I think it was in government buildings for the rest of the, the day. But it really um, shook everything, I think, because as you said, it was just a few months after the, the Good Friday Agreement. We knew that the dissidents were active. We, we knew that the real IRA uh, had been involved in a number of events. Most of them had been thwarted. Um, so um, it, 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 it was, uh, you know, an, an attack on the whole process of those people who were totally against what had been achieved during those months. And it was only as the day moved on that we realised that, that, you know, the, the extent of, of the fatalities. I mean, 31 people dead, including the unborn children, and, and the the amount that were injured, the fact that they were from so many different places, the fact that it had an international dimension, it, 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 it was really uh, it, it was really horrific. And I, I spoke to, to President Clinton during the day and spoke to Tony Blair. And Tony Blair and I then came to came back to home, uh, you know, the, a few days later. What do you remember when you first went to the town in, in those days afterwards? Yeah, well, I, I, I went up fairly soon. I, I, I went to, the, I remember going to the hospital, meeting the staff, uh, those that had, you know, directly met people, I met the police and the, you know, the fire service, the ambulance services, and then I went to a number of the houses, and that was the bit that always would stick in my mind. I mean, I went down to the bomb site and up to the courthouse where the bomb was meant to be um, and where the warning was given for, and of course, we, we know what happened. The people were driven down from that site right into where the bomb was parked. Um, but I, I think the hardest bit was going to the houses, of, and particularly the houses of so many of the young people. You know, it, it, it was it was you know people who were out on their Saturday afternoon holiday period, beautiful day, uh, and and then a, you know a, a, a bomb, um, you know, by, by these lunatics to, to you know to to, to 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 kill so many and name so many and cause such mayhem for. For these families, and you know the, the loss of their loved ones, and to see them laid out in the houses and meet the families, it, it was it was a, a memory that was sticking that in the mind forever. You referenced earlier, Barry, how twenty five years on, the families are still fighting. They're still fighting for truth. They're still fighting for justice. Yeah, they are, and it's, it's hard to believe. You know, some of the families have been campaigning night and day for truth and justice for the past twenty five years. And earlier this year, the Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, announced that an independent statutory inquiry will be launched to look at the preventability of the blast, which devastated the county's own town. It came after a High Court judge in Belfast recommended in 2021 that the UK government should carry out a human rights compliant investigation into alleged security failures in the lead up to the attack. However, the Irish government have not committed to holding their own public inquiry into the bomb although they have said they will fully cooperate with the UK inquiry. Uh, And I've been speaking to Stanley McComb. His wife Anne had gone to work as usual at Watterson's clothes shop in Oma Town Centre that morning. However, she tragically died in the Oma bomb. And Stanley has spent the last 25 years fighting for truth and justice. I remember everything about that day, and I wasn't even here. I was in Scotland, uh, but I was back the next morning, and... I can remember nearly all the events that has taken place and everything that's happened. Because I live it every day. You know, you know, Michael Gallagher and I 
uh, you know, we're very much to the fore for public inquiry, which we're getting. And, you know, we have worked tirelessly for 25 years. I've been all over Ireland, England, Wales, you name it, America, you know, lobbying and campaigning. And at the end, it's paid off. It must be tough still fighting for justice after 25 years, though, is it? Yes, very tough. And, you know, I mean, we are grateful to Chris Heaton Harris, Secretary of State, for allowing us uh, a public inquiry. A very humane person, I think. But there's no other way to have it. We have to have a public inquiry. You know, for the information and, the, and, and that we have, <laughs> the government have to give it to us. Have the Irish government done enough over the years for people like yourself to get justice? It took us a long time to even get meetings with the Irish government. You know, we met many, many years ago, uh, just before Andy Kenny came to Taoiseach, and he promised us meetings and meetings. Oh, I had no problem with him. And then when he got became Taoiseach, <laughs> we never got another meeting with him. But we have met uh, in recent, well, probably recent months, it was probably about two months ago, we did meet uh, with Michael Martin. And uh, yes, we had a very good meeting. And until such times as they have the terms of reference for the public inquiry, he can't say very much. Are you hopeful that you will, that, that, that the families will get justice someday? I don't know about the justice part of it. I know it's, it's, it's 25 years now, and, and, and I know uh, ones that are involved in it, uh, there's, I think it's three or four of them have, have departed this world. But uh, if we can get the truth, the truth is what we want, really. But I would love to see justice too, but I mean, I can't see it. Stanley McComb, who is there um, speaking to Barry White some 25 years on as families continue uh, to deal with the challenges um, that were thrown up by that absolutely appalling um, episode in Irish history. Um, Let's speak to Father Eugene Hassan, who is the co-chair of the uh, Oma Churches Forum, who was the uh, chaplain of, of Tyrone County Hospital in 1998. In fact, I was speaking with Father Hassan a little bit earlier on. Good morning, Jonathan. It's a difficult time to bring you back to, but I'll, I, I'll start by asking, when did you get the news, first of all, that something terrible had happened in Oma? Well, Jonathan, uh, my role in Oma was chaplain to the hospitals at that particular time. But on that day, on the 15th of August, 1998, I wasn't in Oma that morning. Um, A personal bereavement had kept me away from Oma, and I hadn't planned coming back. But then, um, as soon as I heard about it, I came straight back to Oma. So it was probably about five, six in the evening whenever I heard about it. The the bomb took place at three or ten past three. So it was uh, that was the space of time before I got back to Oma then. Tyrone County Hospital. Um, for those yes. who wouldn't have known it back then, it wasn't a big hospital. It was it was relatively small, and I suppose no more than any hospital would be ill-equipped to deal with the volume of injured. Really, it it couldn't have been foreseen how many people needed help that day. Well, I'm sure you know. Really, uh, there would have been about probably 180 beds in it. It would have been a smaller hospital. But uh, we had two consultants here at the time, and including Mr. Dominic Pinto. And they, 
they organised, I realised afterwards that they really organised the uh, response and they did it very, very well. Now, by coincidence, if you like, if, it, if such things are a coincidence, earlier that summer we had done a drill. It's amazing just to think, when I think back on it, we had done a drill and um, just for that kind of thing. And I suppose that's done in hospitals from time to time. But um, it was only a couple of, a couple of, it was a couple of weeks really before, before the actual bomb. Yeah. So there was some preparation had been done for an incident, but just not this yeah. incident. As no, not not this incident. Not something as massive as what this turned out to be. You know. As chaplain, what can you do in that circumstances? What did you do? Well, you really. When I got here, as I said, a lot of the more major cases have been transferred to other hospitals and uh, to, to the Royal and Belfast and the Alban or wherever uh, else that they were transferred to and they decided to send them to. But so when I came here, I just have to, I met Mr. Pinto um, just um, in the corridor and he said to me, I think you better, he said, we've dealt with most of the cases here. Maybe you should go over to the uh, crisis centre, which was the leisure centre and had been turned into that, into that for the occasion or for the response to, to the whole thing, you know. So I went straight over to the leisure centre. And how were people at that point? Because the shock was abundantly clear. Um, Absolutely. The, the death toll was unknown, really. Um, Absolutely. What, what wave of emotion hit you when you went in through the door? Shock. I think just that's about the only word to pin it with shock. You know, it was the kind of thing that wasn't expected in August. We knew that the Good Friday Agreement had been signed in April at Easter. And, you know, you had that hope that something, that violence of that style was behind us, you know. So that's a shock is really the big thing. And shock to it, even to it, oh my, again, you know, really just, oh, it didn't have, uh, perhaps as as many tragedies. It had its its tragedies, of course, but not as many as maybe other places, larger cities like Belfast or, or Derry might have had, you know. Shock, shock was really, you could say, definitely shock. And the unknown, who who is injured, who, where are you, where are the people? And there were huge lists on the wall of people who were missing or couldn't be accounted for. And gradually throughout the night then, um, that was whittled down to the, the people who had actually died, you know. You went in there as a Catholic priest. Um, Oma was a community that sat well together. Um, that, that was the reason it was targeted in many ways because those responsible for the bombing wanted to sow division they wanted to reignite a flame when, when people met you did they see a priest or did they see a man of God or what did they see when they saw Father Eugene Hassan well <laughs> I couldn't answer what they saw but I know that during the night at one stage perhaps maybe midnight or thereabouts the Presbyterian minister came to me who was a co-chaplain with me and he said to me I have to do services in the morning can you look after uh, my people for me and I said if they're willing to have me I'm certainly willing to support them but a lot of them would have known me people aren't people do know each other and whenever you're in this particular role I had been in the Oma area for 18 years prior to the bomb so I mean at least my name was known and I knew a lot of people and I'm very much part I feel very much part of the community when you look back now, we're 25 years later, um, when the shock and the horror, when, when 
people overcame that and it was easier for those not living in Oma to do that quicker. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what was the legacy of those who died, not the bombers, because they left no legacy. What was the legacy of those who died and who were injured, Eugene? Well, Jonathan, you know, grief is a very difficult thing, no matter how it comes or what the circumstances for grief. It's particularly poignant whenever an act of violence uh, is the the source and cause of it. But grief is an awful journey for most people. So, I mean, the the survivors, the, the relatives, they have all had to deal with that throughout those years and it's a very personal journey a very personal one and certainly as first of all chaplain and certainly as priest and then I I had left here then for a number of years and come back then to him as parish priest now um, you listen to people you're with people and you're there and they know you and you know you know them too you know their suffering but you also have grace so you have great compassion great empathy for them and you know deep respect for them really, and their journey. I can understand, really, all the different emotions of grief, of anger, of whatever else that they went through. But it is nice to see or to hear people tell you that, you know, they are dealing with it. I always remember that night, too, in the measure centre. There was a very significant person in the community said to me, again, not from not, not, a, not from the Catholic background, but he said to me, you know, the people of Oma, he said, are resilient people. They will know how to deal with this. And uh, even though it's been such a a, a momentous experience, they will know how to deal with it. And I felt when I heard him say that, that I had the same confidence and trust in how they would deal with it. And I do have that. And I've certainly listened to that over the years. I've listened to um, their stories. And, I mean, they do. They really try. They have really... They have come through this so well, considering the pain of it, the horror of it, and it's 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 a journey that cannot be measured either by time or by any emotion. All emotions are part and parcel of the journey. Father Eugene Hassan, uh, who was the chaplain of Tyrone County Hospital and the co-chair of Oma Churches Forum, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Father Eugene. Jonathan, you're very welcome. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.